0: Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you want to confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on Self-Worst oh, 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 hello, oh, hi, hi, hi It's, it's me, Brad Pearson Welcome to Self-Worst Podcast What's up? This is a podcast about, uh mental health or whatever. Uh, you know the drill. You know what this is all about. Unless this is your first time listening, in which case, welcome. And, uh, it'll get better than this, uh, when I actually talk to somebody else. So, uh, stay tuned. We're talking to my friend. Uh, my old friend, Kelly Mahoney. Uh, she's doing social work stuff, and, uh, we haven't talked in a while, and, uh, I happen to know she's, she's been through a couple of things, Uh, that are pretty fucking crazy and harrowing. So, uh, we talked about all of that. I'm not going to spoil anything. You're just going to have to listen. Stay tuned. Um, And that's what's up. I don't know. Like, we uh, have some mental health stuff in the general discourse. Uh, What with Aaron Bushnell. uh, The man who self-immolated outside of the Israeli embassy. Uh, And then, of course... For the first time in their lives, a bunch of people start talking about mental health and was he uh, crazy? was he mentally ill? was this self-harm as if they uh, as if they fucking give a shit about mental health to begin with. It is always a deflection with some people. you will notice this. It's a deflection. If it's about uh, school shooting, it's a deflection. If it's about uh, somebody doing something racist, it's a deflection. If it's a conversation about guns, it's, it's always something else. Now, there are people who do crazy things who are genuinely uh, mentally disturbed, and that's one thing. This is not one of those cases. This guy was clear-headed lucid doing this for a reason for a very well stated reason it's an extreme thing to do it's intense it's an image that i hope none of us ever forget but there's been a lot of images that i hope are burned into our collective consciousness by now that are coming out just today uh, there's an image circling, c- circulating around the internet of a, uh, uh, emergency aid relief box, just covered in blood, a food ration, just with blood splattered all over it. And I hope that that really sticks with us. I hope that that haunts our dreams. Anyway, I just want to make it clear that, uh, while this is a mental health podcast, uh, not everybody is fucking crazy. Uh, And sometimes people do intense things for a reason. Uh, He was a service member. He was already prepared to die for a cause. You enter the military service and you're willing to do that in the name of war. And nobody bats an eye. In fact, people congratulate that as valorous, brave, noble. But when somebody actually does some shit that costs their life to make a statement then you'll hear some people say oh he's crazy well he's not and you're not crazy either not at least not when it comes to this you will feel crazy i know i've felt crazy for the past several months relitigating the whole fucking post 9/11 war on terror invasion of iraq and just feeling this just hearing the same shit happen again and feeling insane Every time you turn on the TV, you hear John Kirby, you hear fucking Matthew Miller, all these fucking ghouls lie through their teeth, piss on your head, tell you it's raining. And you feel insane. You feel crazy because they are telling you one thing while you are seeing something else. They are just straight lying through their teeth. If you want to talk about somebody who needs a fucking psych evaluation, Look no further than them. You're fucking psychopaths. That's the mental illness. That's the insane shit. Anyway, if you're feeling fucking crazy watching all of this stuff unfold, you're not. You're having a uh, normal human empathetic reaction to something that is just unfathomably fucked up. So you're not crazy in that respect anyway. You, you're probably fucked up in a, a bunch of other levels. But not this. Not when it comes to this. I'm telling you. You're good. Anyway. Let's get to the show and stuff. Uh, but first, we'll do our plugs and whatever up front. And get that out of the way. In case you're skipping through all of this just to get to the interview. I'll make it easy for you. Uh Bradicle Pearson Instagram and Twitter follow the show at self worst on instagram and uh rate and review uh take a screenshot right now and uh put it in your instagram stories tag us and uh we'll repost it and stuff and that'll be fun patreon.com slash self as little as a dollar a month you can get bonus content and uh my undying love and uh loyalty Anyway, hope you're doing well. Hope you're managing uh, with with what with uh, the world gestures broadly at the world, and uh, have have fun with this one. This is a good this is a good episode. It's is, is a fun one. I I mean, and by fun I mean it, it it gets it gets a little gnarly. But don't they all? So we're gonna go we're gonna go to the interview. Hang in there. Uh, it's kind of almost spring. You know, we're in the full spring part. We probably will be cold again. But look, we're like less than 20 days out from 7 p.m. sunsets. Keep your eyes on the prize. Focus on that. Focus on the stuff that's kind of okay and and life-affirming. Because your attention will be turned to other stuff inevitably. So try and look at some positive stuff. uh, Just to sort of mix it up, if nothing else. Okay. Now we're going to talk to my friend Kelly Mahoney. Okay, so catch me up on the last 10 years. What have you been up to?
1: Oh, Christ. Um, <laughs> well, I officially got divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, I started. It, I finally got my own apartment, like living the New York dream. Nice. <laughs> and then the pandemic happened. I lived there for all of three months before escaping to New Jersey, and I never left.
0: You're still out in Jersey.
1: Um, I'm still out in Jersey. My uh, fiance and I bought a, bought a house, um, and now I I live and work in New Jersey full Congrats.
0: time. I mean,
1: Thanks.
0: your Instagram handle and email and everything kind of it, it sort of sucks for that because
1: yeah, uh... <laughs> I'm I think it'll be like that forever because we we live we live 20 minutes outside of the city. So it's not like, yeah, it's
0: not, that's not a huge deal. Are you from Jersey originally?
1: Do I know this? No, I'm from Virginia originally, but I have some family that, that are from Jersey and live like within a 20 mile radius of us.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And, and my, my partner's family, um, they, we all live in the same town. We are two blocks away from his mom, one block away from his aunt. It's very close. Uh, it's like a,
0: everybody loves Raymond or something. It's so like a <laughs>
1: sitcom thing happening. Yeah. Oh God, it could be. It could be. It's chaos all the time over there.
0: Right. <laughs> and so for work, you're you're um, doing
1: social work or something now. So I was in. I'm not a social worker yet. Okay. <laughs> I have to clarify. Right. Um, working on my Fordham application for my MSW. So we'll see how that goes. What's but an MSW? Uh, master's in social work. Ah, okay, cool. Um, I was in community behavioral health uh, out of Brooklyn for almost five years, and I would su- I was supervising case managers, <clears throat> but also working directly with clients that were um, dual diagnosis, um, experiencing homelessness, addiction, um, HIV, special needs all that fun stuff. So I, because of the position that I was in, I got the really tough cases. Um, and I got kind of burnt out. So yeah,
0: I've heard this happens with social work. They throw you in the deep end. They give the rookie like the hardest, shittiest, just impossible fucked up people. And uh, (laughs) they really, and they really work you to the bone. And then, and then you're just like, you're burnt out after a few years.
1: Yeah. I mean, and it was, it wasn't just that, like it was a really toxic work environment as well. And the commute, I was commuting an hour and a half, a couple times a week from New Jersey. And I was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I need, yeah, quality of life. Um, and now I'm, I'm working with the, uh, New Jersey division of developmental disabilities in another supervisory position, um, working with support coordinators and that is very different so
0: so when we met i i don't know if that's something that you were looking to get into social work and and stuff like that um
1: yeah i mean i think i was still just like working in coffee shops and stuff when we met yeah um i didn't i knew it was something i wanted to do eventually uh and then i started working on this volunteer project called bold beauty Mm -hmm. as A photographer. Um, I'm still doing it. We work with uh, women with disabilities, visible and invisible, and we photograph them uh, in a way that allows them to feel empowered and tell their story. Uh, And when I started doing that, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is it. This is what I. This is what I want. This is what I'm here for." Um, And then I just kind of shifted. I mean, it took a long time. I I applied for god like 100 jobs or something yeah
0: finally well i mean it's you found a you found a cool thing to get into i mean a hard thing but a a, you know a a cool and an altruistic thing that uh not everybody can do not everybody is fucking cut out for social work and 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 things like (laughs) that that's it's very difficult and uh you know the world needs more and it's very it can be really unrewarding from what i've heard and 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 just uh you know a, a, a thankless job that uh, just doesn't get enough cred for, for what, what it is you do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like so many jobs are thankless, <laughs> mm. um, you know, and it's <clears throat> with, with this, working with the division of developmental disabilities, I feel like it's way more rewarding than the, the previous population. Um, you know, I, so many times I, ran into situations where our clients just didn't want to do the work they were capable of doing it i know that they could do it but they just kind of relied too heavily on the case managers Mm -hmm. to do things for them um you know but this is one of the most vulnerable populations and they really need advocates yeah and and i'm grateful that i'm in a position where i can I can do
0: that. It's hard to I know, am... like, what the level of help we can give people really is. Um, you know, as somebody who you know, I, I, I believe in a a, a world of uh, uh, social good and 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 uh, programs and safety nets and things like that to help people, um, even mm-hmm. if they. Um, haven't lived their lives perfectly. But, uh, you know, especially, I don't know. I don't know if it's a specifically American thing, just because there is just such this, uh, giant idea in the American psyche of, uh, you know, this, this kind of rugged cowboy individualism and this sort of free for all nature of, of how we run Mm -hmm. as a society. But there are just people who just don't give a fuck. And like, (laughs) they are going to remain fucked up, strung out and, and, and biting the hand that feeds no matter what. And it's hard to make the argument for like, well, we still need to like give people a chance when like you happen to know that there are people who just, they're just fuck ups. They're just fuck ups. (laughs) Sometimes. Yeah. You you can
1: be, you can be mentally ill and still be an asshole. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: And, you know, and I think that there's a fine line between empowering and enabling. Mm. And sometimes we don't even realize that we're enabling this, this cyclical behavior. Um, But that's, I mean, part of it is like meeting someone where they are. Yeah. And trying to, even if it takes, I mean, I've, I worked with someone for, for two years and, you know, she would take five steps forward, 10 steps back and you know the progress was very slow and i think so much of it is being patient and we have a tendency to want to be fixers and to from an out- outside perspective you're like if you would just do this you would be fine yeah <laughs> but they don't they don't see it that way they you know and so you just got to be patient and and walk alongside them and encourage them to do what is best for them, or at least what they think is best for them. And and harm reduction is really important, especially when you're working with individuals that uh, don't want to stop.
0: Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's another, you know, that's a hard argument, I think, to push to some people um, is that, you know, harm reduction works, things like needle uh, exchange and, mm-hmm. and, and and stuff like that help people by just making sure that they don't fucking die. That's, you're just trying to keep them from dying. Mm -hmm. The rest of, you know, if they're going to get their shit together, get a job, talk to their families again, all of that is really up in the air. And it's it's a very imperfect way of fixing uh, the problem, but at least it's something. Um, what made you want to kind of, I mean, you, you talked a little bit about it, but talk more about like, uh, picking, uh, social work specifically as, as like a thing to get into, um, from photography.
1: Uh, well, my, my first degree is psychology. Second degree is photography. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I had exhausted myself, um, and I wasn't enjoying photography as much as I was. I was doing it, I was just kind of running myself ragged. I was using it to support myself like 90% of the time. And I was just like, this isn't fun anymore. I wanna, I wanna get, you know, I want stability and then I want to be able to pick and choose what creative thing I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was like, let me, you know, let me put my parents' money to use and and see if I can get actually get into the mental health field um and it and i did (laughs) it took a little while but i did it um you know and i was i was tired of you know working part-time in coffee shops and like managing restaurants and cafes and stuff it just i felt like i was aging out of that at least for myself i know some people do it their whole lives and they love it i am not that person
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a rare breed. And I think that's increasingly becoming something that just doesn't exist anymore, especially like within the city proper. You can't fucking pay rent on those kinds of on that kind of money. And it's just not like I'm still walking dogs. I don't know why. I don't know how I've gotten it down to just a few days a week because I'm doing a bunch of other shit. I've got I'm juggling like three different hustles right now. But like. What are your hustles? So I work part time. Uh, We're getting more and more work. So hopefully this will be a full time thing eventually uh, as an art handler. Um, We have a co-op. It's all we built it from the ground up. It's all employee owned worker democracy, all of those kind of ideals. And uh, uh, it's it's based here uh, in in Red Hook where I live, which is cool. Um, And it's it's just a bunch of, you know, just just cool ass dudes who, who've gotten together and, and, and built this company um we're union and um you know i had worked uh as a crate maker for an art handling company years and years ago um up in long island city and it was fine like it, I, I didn't mind the work necessarily the pay wasn't so good commuting up to long island city every day wasn't so good so this is this is you know a lot better than that and uh you know working in a wood shop every day is just very it's very zen i like it um so that's i'm doing awesome. that i learned to code last year so i'm trying to get into some tech companies but that's very hard right now for like an entry-level person because the job market's shit um it's just all over the place doing like whatever i can and, and and you know not waiting for any one thing to just stick and gel like just trying to like plug the hole first, you know, uh, <laughs> right, whatever, right. whatever comes along and, and, and dog walking happens to just still kind of be there, um, mm-hmm. as a, as a part-time thing, but like, it's not fucking sustainable, dude. Like it's just not. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's where that's, that's where I am work wise. Um, what made you want to study, uh, psychology initially? What got you interested in that?
1: My family's crazy. <laughs> mm.
0: I was about
1: like, that. I, was, <laughs> I was absolutely horrified that I like, that I was going to end up being sick and like not understand what was going on. So, <clears throat> um, also my, my mom is, um, is a counselor or she's a retired counselor. Um, and I, I really admired the work that she did. Um,
0: is she crazy too though?
1: No. She's, no, great. she's She's my mom's she's great. pretty normal. Okay, cool, cool. Ex- extended, extended extended family, family. like okay, like yeah. schizophrenia runs in on her side oh, of the man. family. Okay, that's a big um, one. Yeah, but like I'm not, so it's fine. <laughs> right? Yeah, you'd probably know by now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have known long ago. Um, okay. but yeah, so you know, kind of following in my mom's footsteps. Mm-hmm. Um wanting a better understanding of what my family situation was. And and I'm also just fascinated by it, especially abnormal psych. I want to learn as much as I can about everybody that I meet. And I I I want to like I want to dig and like really get to know who they are. And and psych, you know, allowed me to to do that. Hmm. Um, you know, much of undergraduate was like, I don't know. I mean, it was interesting. There was, you know, <clears throat> the, you know, histories and systems and training rats and, and all that, all that stuff. But. Yeah.
0: So what were your first uh, brushes with, you know, mental health, mental illness, therapy and all of that stuff?
1: Um, I, so I don't, I don't remember this, but my, my mom told me about it when I got my first apartment in college. Um I and there's like a big blank slate. <laughs> like a big empty hole um where I just like don't remember things that happened in my childhood. Oh,
0: yeah, that's usually not a good sign.
1: <laughs> um <laughs> thanks brain. Yeah. So, you know, there there are like bits and pieces that I that I remember um but apparently when I was or five my mom took me away and we were living in texas with my aunt i definitely started kindergarten in texas i remember that Mm -hmm. um going to the after school babysitter and getting harassed and beat up by her horrible sons um but there's a whole like period where I was apparently in family therapy and individual therapy with my parents. My dad tried to take me from Texas to Virginia and I just, none of it. There's no, nothing.
0: You don't remember any of it.
1: (laughs) Don't remember any of it. I was like, are you sure that was me when she was telling me? She's just like, yeah, absolutely. Um, And then I remember being six and going to AA meetings with my dad at church not really understanding what it was, but I was in the church library and I would like color and, you know, read and whatever. You but were like I just, in like, the room with him. They, so, so or they the way had that like it a was, daycare um,
0: or something like it was
1: it no. <laughs> so, um, so it was, they had like the community area in the church basement, but then they had a library that was adjacent mm-hmm. and I would hang out in the library and read and, draw on the chalkboard and just hang out. I mean, the door was open yeah. and like I was in line of sight. But um, I would have to go with my dad because I think my my mom was working nights or something. So, so I would you were go with pretty him.
0: well acquainted with what alcoholism is and, and all of that. At um, a, at a very yeah, large,
1: I mean, I at, at the time, I, ha- I didn't I didn't know. Um, mm. But, you know, as I got older, I was like, oh, OK, I understand what was happening.
0: Did you feel at all like, uh, I don't know, like this had to be like a secret or this was like a stigmatized thing or did you feel like, "Eh, it's fine. Some people just, they they can't handle the, you know, the sauce and they got to stop and it's hard for them to do that on their own. They need people.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There was no, I've never thought of it as something terrible that... Mm -hmm or, you know, there's no real stigma. I mean, I know there is stigma, but I never felt that way about it. That's good. Um, sometimes you can handle it and sometimes you can't. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my dad was one of those individuals where if one drink is going to make him feel good, two is going to make him feel better. Why not just drink the whole bottle? Sure. Um, and he, and he recognizes that about himself, which I think is incredible. Like he, he knows that if he takes one drink of anything, he's going to be waking up and drinking a bottle of Jack like yeah. the next day. So, um, he's been sober for how old am I? <laughs> he's been sober for 34 years. Wow. No, no, 30, 33 years. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hats yeah. off to Mr. Mahoney. I started when I was 12. I went, you know, down the river. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it was a situation where I I just didn't have the coping mechanisms. Um, And I didn't, I think there was a long time where I didn't want to be alive, but knew I didn't want to die. (laughs) So I was in this weird kind of limbo, I'm sure. yeah. yeah, (laughs) Um, you know, so there was that when I was twelve, and it was, you know, handled as every parent would yes. handle it. I don't ever want to see this again. Yeah. So I learned to hide it.
0: I would be suicidal <laughs> if I had the follow through. If I had the gumption, you know, if I had the mm-hmm. motivation, I guess. But it really if I weren't was such a lot a failure at everything. Yeah, I would have done really it. A lot more. It's it just was so passive. It was it, it, like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm in a much better headspace now, but looking back on it was just like, I am unattached to being alive. I will not yeah. go out of my way to remain alive, but I'm also not going to go out of my way to not be, you know? It was just like, I'm just sort of coasting here and yeah. just sort of existing, getting up every day, doing what I have to do. But like, that's, that's it. That's all you can fucking ask of me, you know? Like, mm-hmm. so far as actually... Uh, getting my shit together or you know, improving my station in life, getting a real job, anything like that. Like, nah, no, nah, I don't think so. so
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, when did self-harm and, and cutting come into the picture?
1: Um, like I said, I was, I was 12. You were 12. It was really young. Okay. Um, and that was a, a, a very regular thing until I was in, my early 20s um and then it kind of tapered off when I was found out by my roommate at the time who was a very good friend of mine um and she's like if you don't tell someone I will and it's not going to be fun if I tell them Mm -hmm. so I was like okay um and then you know I had a number of years where I didn't really do it. And then I lapsed and, and it didn't, it didn't feel the same. And I was like, okay, well, I guess this isn't for me anymore. Yeah. And I just kind of stopped.
0: It's so common though, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who have, who have done the cutting thing, um, in your, you know, from your perspective, why do you think it is that like it's it, it, it's almost like it's instinctual like because it doesn't seem like you saw somebody else do it or there was like an example of like, oh, I'm going to go do that thing now. It just occurred to you in a vacuum that you were going yeah. to, you know, cut yourself uh, 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 sort of discreetly and, yeah. and that that was going to be some sort of release valve for you. So like mm-hmm. how, d- how did that occur to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I uh, I 12-year-old me could not tell you how mm. that came about. Um, but as I got older and speaking to um you know, not having that influence, I um had a couple of friends in high school. We had a very unhealthy circle. <laughs> we were all cutters mm. and we would all share tips and tricks how to hide it, different things that that didn't involve razors where you could still harm yourself. Like um I remember burning myself with like nail heads on my ankles and like i i could talk about it for a really long time and yeah. um get graphic but i won't um but i i think part of it is is there's this need to feel you know to feel released to feel something that you want or at least for me i wanted a a type of physical pain to match what I was feeling inside. And then sometimes it was to feel anything at all when I was just kind of detached from everything around me. Hmm. Um,
0: What um, have you been able to kind of replace that with as, as a, um, as as a mm-hmm. balm for like when you when you do feel that way when you are triggered in that way again that makes you want to do that and oh, you turn to something else.
1: I I have not been triggered in that way in in over a decade, mm. um, which I'm grateful for. But I was turned on to Not Han, mm-hmm. mindfulness. All of that has been really helpful. Also, learning healthy coping mechanisms um, being able to actually talk about how I'm feeling and having that safe space to do so, be it with my partner or with my new therapist. Um, I had our, we had our first session. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. I wanted to talk about that. How'd it go?
1: (laughs) It was great. I was a little hesitant because I prefer to work with women.
0: Mm. Um, did you have a male therapist this
1: time? mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. But he, yeah, I and I and I let my my psychiatrist know. I was like, "You know, um I I really prefer working with women, yeah. but let's give it a go." And and he opened the session saying, "You know, hopefully this is a good fit. If not, no worries."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um we started with some breathing exercises, um, you know, some grounding exercises, and it was exactly what I needed in the middle of my work day. Um and I you know I went through a little bit of my my history where I am now um you know you have the standard questionnaire that you have to fill out but we we talk through that in a very organic way um and there was a lot of g- gratitude back and forth throughout the session which is something I've never had before um and I I I was one of those things like, yeah, this is exactly what this is the kind of therapist that I need. I I love that holistic approach, you know, being being thankful and acknowledging that the person that you're speaking with is sharing the deepest parts of themselves with you and you're a stranger. Mm-hmm. I I've never experienced that before. Um, so it was it went it went really well. That's I'm great. excited
0: for the What's next. Your- what's your project? What, what, what do you, what, what is now and what has been kind of like your main sort of like, uh, target with, with therapy?
1: Um, more I want, I do, even though my, my coping skills are much better than they were, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, uh, in my teens, twenties and even early thirties, uh, working on, Coping with the current chaos that is my life outside of work, hmm. um, and also in work, at work, because um, some some of the stuff that that I deal with is really heavy and upsetting. Um, and and then you mean I go it, home at work, and
0: like you know the the, at, the things that people bring to you. Yeah, the yeah, it's gotta be. Um,
1: I I find that I am so angry Mm -hmm. um so often because of what is happening to so many of the individuals that we work with just like straight up neglect yeah um being taken advantage of not being provided you know proper meals in group homes and um and even instances of incest um which is beyond my comprehension yeah um so that's so i want i want to have the tools to you know to work through these things on the day-to-day um and go home and still be able to enjoy myself and not allow that stuff to weigh on me
0: Mm.
1: which is and i'm sure it'll come with with time but i would that's coping, coping skills. Like that's the main, the main goal for
0: now. I'm pretty sure therapists anyway, not necessarily social workers, but therapists, I think they're required to have their own therapists too, just to kind of (laughs) balance things out. I think it's highly recommended. (laughs) That would be, I think it would be a good idea because you have to like, you hear so much shit that like, it's like, you're just in that mode all day of, of, of dealing with, People's fucked up lives and minds, and like you gotta, yeah. <laughs> you gotta take that to somebody else. Um, right? You know, and, and and like I, I feel like as as a woman, I think it. I can understand why you would feel more comfortable with the, with a female therapist. But like, I also feel more comfortable with female therapists and I'm not totally sure why is, I guess something I have to work out in therapy too. Um, to <laughs> I guess just having sort of a standoffishness with other men, especially like men in positions of, I don't know, some sort of authority or something that I'm just like, mm-hmm. hmm, no, I don't think you can tell me what to do or whatever. You know, well, there's, there's that. I don't yeah. know what it is.
1: Well I also I think you know women women are seen as caretakers and nurturers so I think it's natural right. that we're drawn to that especially when we're looking for someone to take care of our emotions and help us.
0: Yeah, I think maybe that's it like maybe like and and maybe that's uh, an outdated or outmoded method of thinking on my part but I don't I don't want the like nurturing softness from a man. <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't want that. I right. I. I. I need, you know, camaraderie and stuff from, from men, but not like a, not like a, 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 a soft touchy feeliness I, I don't, I don't want that. It feels weird to me. So uh-huh. I, I don't know. Maybe that's, that's probably something I gotta, That that's probably something I gotta work out, but
1: we'll, yeah, I, I got a
0: myriad of other fucking
1: things. I mean, it's just a, it's a preference. Yeah. It's a preference, I think. I understand that. I mean, I, I prefer women, but I, I just also, I think it all, it's also that masculine. I, I, I don't want to say masculine energy.
0: Yeah. No, there it but, exists.
1: <laughs> but I, I, um, just like, I don't want to tell some, some guy, like the most intimate parts ab- about myself. Yeah. I'm not, but, um, it turns out that this this gentleman was uh, is seems to be a really good fit. Yeah. So
0: it, it sometimes works, but in general, not so much. And you know, like I guess that's fine. Like I don't know. Like like I said, like I work in a wood shop. I work with a bunch of teamsters, and I love them. And I feel close to them in a way that I don't feel close to other people, you know, in this in this workspace sort of uh, like brotherhood sense. But I don't tell them about what I really like feel and talk about in therapy and stuff like we just Mm -hmm. don't go there. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing or like toxic masculinity or anything like that. I think it's just a different relationship dynamic. You know, right? And, and, I mean, uh,
1: it's it's also your place of work.
0: There's also that. Yeah, I also do. I don't need to bring be bringing shit like that up at work, for sure. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> um. So, talk a little bit about. Um. So you you've mentioned you've had some disordered eating and some body dysmorphia and stuff like that too. Um. Talk about your experience with that.
1: Oh God. Um. Again, lack of coping skills mm-hmm. and need for control. I stopped cutting. Um, you know, mindfulness was was great for becoming, for being present um, and kind of moving myself away from that need for that instant gratification of feeling, you know, feeling something. Um, and, uh, but the and you know there was more there was more to it um i guess and and it was a way for me to gain control of things that i felt that i didn't have control over and what do i have control over what i put into my body and how i treat myself and at the time um i was yeah i was restricting i was purging i was yeah. over exercising. It was, you know, a kind co- of I guess a, a combination um of things. And full disclosure, the body dysmorphia has not been diagnosed. Um, but it is something that I have heard from multiple people um, about myself over the years. Um, mm-hmm.
0: So. I don't think body dysmorphia necessarily has to be diagnosed. I think it's pretty yeah. like you know you have it or you don't, and like yeah, and also <laughs> it, it it almost comes as a prerequisite of, of of being a woman. It seems you know like, and and I've talked about this with with other dudes like there there is body dysmorphia it, among men. I think that's a big uh, 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 misconception that that like this sort of thing only happens to women, but uh it, obviously it, it i think there is a lot more pressure put on women's looks to the point where it's hard to know if it's a like if it's a disorder that comes from something related to you know an o c d thing in the head or a depression or an anxiety or if it's just because you live in the world and you were assigned female at birth. And so then you were told that if you're above a certain weight, if you're, if your thighs touch or whatever, then you're a disgusting pig and a piece of shit and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. How, how are you not supposed to fucking walk away from that crazy?
1: Right. Right. I mean, I think sometimes it's a combination of the two, but absolutely societal pressure to fit the mold and the mold changes so often, mm. so often.
0: Yeah. like, we're 90s kids. We grew up in like the Kate Moss era. And then all of a sudden yeah. big ass butts are in. Which Right. God I mean, bless. I mean, I'm glad. But you know, <laughs> it's it is confusing. It is like a bit of whiplash right. here.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I definitely fit the big butt molds. So I'm I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Um but I, you know, and I'm I'm definitely like the heaviest I've ever been, but I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, Mm-mm, You know, still try like, one of those things where I was like, I'm going to lose so much weight for my wedding, and then my wedding is in May, and, like, I've lost, like, maybe 10 pounds. But and I'm just kind of, like, except there's, but again, it's, like, that societal pressure to, like, to look really, really good in your photos so you can look back and, and yeah. look at, you know, but uh, I'm just kind of, like, the person that I'm marrying loves me for who I am. Um, do I want to look good? Absolutely. But I'm not, um, I guess I'm not as concerned about it as I used to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, and well, looking good and, and being at your heaviest are not necessarily mutually exclusive for one thing, mm-hmm. but also there is this sort of narrative that's just out there in the ether that, uh, the end goal is getting down to some sort of like a certain weight and Mm. that you haven't really like completed the race, you know, like as a person until, until you are there. And then there is also this, like if you are at a certain weight for say five, 10 years and then you put on some weight later, there's this idea that like, that was better then than like, you know, like that you were at like a more socially acceptable weight. Right. It isn't necessarily like you, you probably feel better about yourself. Now you were worrying less about like this or that thing. And like, also just like, I don't know, man, fucking people get older and people like put on weight as they age and like your metabolism changes and like hormones (laughs) and shit. Like that's all real stuff. And we like, there is really only so much that can be done as a normal person who just doesn't like live in the gym and center their mm-hmm. whole life and their like everything that they put in their bodies around looking a certain way, mm-hmm. uh there's only so much you can do, you know? Like I exercise right. a lot, I've still got fucking love handles. I've still like it and, and it's just they're not gonna go unless I really drastically change in a way that I don't fucking want to. I like beer. I like cookies.
1: (laughs) Right. Makes life
0: worth living. Like, fuck it. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) you mentioned um, when you were in your marriage, um, you felt like you did not have an identity outside of your relationship. And you said, but that was the whole point. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Um, I was in a... And this is something that it's it's taken me a long time to like come to terms with. I was in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I was isolated. I was made to feel um, like I was never good enough. Um, my ex-husband had this idea of who he wanted us to be as a couple. Um, and he had expectations that I just, that I could never meet. Um, If I wasn't, I wasn't, if I wasn't it's like, you're not going to the gym enough. You're not, you know, like you're not working on your photography website enough. You're not doing, you're not doing this. Meanwhile, looking back, I was like, I was working for a commercial photographer. I was, I had my own studio that I was working out of and I was working at a coffee shop. Like, you know, I was doing, I was doing that freelance thing that so many New Yorkers do, but it, like, I could never, it was never enough. Um, He would
0: tell you these things straight up, like you're not working out enough. You're not working on your photography enough. mm -hmm. The fuck? What a bitch.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, and, and I'll like, I mean, he turned out to be an awful, awful person.
0: Um, I think I remember hearing a little bit about
1: yeah, I'll send things. you the article.
0: <laughs> there's an article, folks. All you need to know is that there's an article. So
1: <laughs> there's a few. There's a few.
0: <laughs> I mean, what was he doing that made him king? Shit, that like he could feel like he could tell you what to do. Like I don't understand. He was an
1: ex-rock star and a narcissist. <sighs> he never heard no. Yeah. He got everything he ever wanted. I see. Including me. Mm. <sighs> Yeah, where... I mean, I can tell you what he did if you want. (laughs) Um, He put a camera in the bathroom where he worked. 24 counts of unlawful surveillance and sexual misconduct. Um, He eventually was... He left of his own volition, and then after... (sighs) I want to say three years of court proceedings, um, virtually after he left the country, uh, he had a has a lifetime ban from the U S and a $1,400 fine.
0: I've it's never not, been so angry in my life. It's not a lot. Um, no. he wasn't, he wasn't American by birth.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah so that's
0: that's yeah that's he, he left yeah. and there wasn't I'm not sure what the extradition whatever is for for something like that or you know or, or how any of that legal stuff works with you know you can do some fucked up shit over here and then just like skip back over the pond but I don't know yeah
1: you yeah definitely so know more about that than me um yeah so he so that was a thing um that was like probably the hardest year of my life yeah going so through all of that Um,
0: yeah,
1: it was, it was, it was fucked. It was so fucked. (laughs) Um,
0: Did you have, um, any inkling like as this was happening that, 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 that was happening or, um, is it more just like a, a a hindsight kind of thing? Like, oh yeah, this um, all makes sense now that I know yeah, is a so, shit.
1: so many things that happened um made sense after. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and we, you know, we indulged in strip clubs and sex clubs and all that fun stuff that you do. Um, but not not very frequently. Yeah. Um, and it was always like a spontaneous fun thing that we would do. Um but I remember um, there was one one day that I came back from work and, you know, we had a laptop next to the bed and it was open and and the camera was on. And I didn't notice until I like I had worked really early um, and I like took a nap with the dog. And then I got up and I was like, oh, that's really weird. So I turned it off and I, I sent him a text and I was like, hey, um, your laptop was recording the bedroom. And he was like, oh, yeah, um, I'm, you know, doing these YouTube videos and the app, the program that I have will just start to record automatically sometimes, even if I'm not like playing guitar. And I'm like, I don't believe you, but I don't want to get into an argument. So whatever, man. Um, And um, he would check my he had access to my email but I didn't know that until he asked me about a very specific person that I had emailed Um, a very uh, close friend of mine who lived out of state and I emailed and I was like, Hey, checking in. How are you doing? I miss you. And um, we went out to brunch the next day and he was like, Hey, have you, um, have you talked to this person? And I was like, well, yeah, I emailed him. He's just like nothing, you know, like inappropriate or, whatever. And I was like, no. Um, You know, and then he's, you know, continuing to question me. And I'm just like, I don't understand like what you're getting at. And he's like, you know, he only talks to you because he wants to fuck you. And that was when there was a major shift Mm. um, in our relationship. And I, you know, like, was convinced that I was, that like no one actually, you know, he he had me convinced that no one actually liked me as a person and that I was just seen as an object. Um, and uh, And <laughs> the most fucked up about the whole thing is he was just like, you need to show me that you're not doing, that you're not planning to do anything with this person. He was super jealous all the time too, which is really
0: strange. Which is weird. Cause yeah. you went to, you went to like strip clubs and sex clubs and stuff together. And yet yeah, he was possessive.
1: Yeah. Interesting. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so he had me and I, and I did it cause it was, you know, trying to keep the peace also being young and like, not knowing any better. Cause like, you don't, you don't know. I mean, I didn't, I didn't recognize. Yeah how unhealthy and like dangerous the behavior was because I was in it.
0: It sounds like there was a pretty big power imbalance too. Was Mm -hmm. he, was he older? Did he make more money? Were you kind of financially dependent? Yeah, he was 12
1: years, 12 years older than me, Um, made way more money. um, Convinced me to stop my job as a flight attendant where I was, you know, able to sustain myself and, And we, I remember traveling and, and I, like, I remember one, there was a week where I was in Berlin and, and I sent him a text and I was like, oh, I'm going to the zoo. And, and he calls me and he's, he's so irate. He's so angry. And he's like, I feel like I'm doing all of this work and you're just out there, you know, having the, having the time of your life. And like, I just, I'm taking care of the dog. I'm doing all these things. You better not
0: be fucking that tiger. (laughs) What is he?
1: (laughs) Exactly. Um, he's like you better not be going to those Sherman Leather Daddy Clubs no he didn't say that um, but I you know I then started to feel bad for the career that I chose and I wound up um, leaving the job and um, and then you know but I was lucky in that I could afford to just focus on photography and art um, but there was that, you know, that feeling of guilt, like I'm, right. my job is different from yours. It happens to be way, <laughs> way cooler. Um, and it affords me the time to go out and explore the world and, and meet people and, you know, and explore. Um, and I, I wasn't, I felt guilty yeah. for, for having those experiences.
0: Well, and it sounds like there was a sense of like not wanting to rock the boat because you were financially able to do the things that you were doing because he was yeah. he was bankrolling he was kind of sugar daddying you you know and like yeah. this is a thing that abusers do they control yeah. their partner's income and tell them like explicitly don't get a job because i want you to be dependent on me like it's a it's a manipulation technique so like he was like a controller yeah. controller
1: and oh god, when he found out I still had my own bank account, he was absolutely livid. Um, he's like, "Why do you even have that?" And I'm like, "Why not? Like, and and here's here, like, I had, I, I I had a sense of like my my money and his money. I would still contribute to to rent and bills. Um, if I needed photography equipment, I would save up for that. Yeah. I would use my money to like, I, I used my own money to buy my studio kit, um, you know, and cameras and, and things like that. But there was still, but I was, we had, I was on his bank account and I still had my separate, separate one and that I would put my play money there. Like if I wanted to go shopping or, you know, whatever, I, I would not use our joint account for that stuff. Cause I felt like that wasn't fair.
0: Yeah. Well, and Um, these are the same kind of people who like accuse women of being gold diggers and shit. (laughs) And then he's mad at you for having your own bank account.
1: Yeah. And that, I mean, that was just another, that was just another control thing. Yeah. Um, there was, there was one, oh my God, there was one time he threatened to leave me and go back to England because I wasn't, um, there was something that I wasn't doing that he, that he wanted me to do, um. I wasn't. I wasn't getting enough.
0: You were not eating beans for breakfast or something. You weren't. It was
1: like, I, I wasn't. I wasn't getting enough freelance work as frequently as he thought I should be. Um, And he's like, "You're being so lazy. If you don't like, if you don't turn it around, if you don't do better, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna. I will pack up and I'll go back to London and leave you here with the dog. Um, And I like. I thought. I left, I left the apartment and I called my mom and I was like, I think that, I think he's going to leave me. Um, and, and it, again, it was a manipulation tactic.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, uh, yeah, he didn't, he got, he got rid of my clothes because he didn't like my clothes. Jesus. Um, there was one time, <laughs> I'll show them to you. <laughs> I still, I still have them. I'm laughing because it's so ridiculous. Um, I have a pair of floral pants. They're like, I, I don't know. They have the elastic on the bottom. They're not joggers, but they're like a little bit nicer. And it's like a really bright tropical print. And I, I bought them, and I was like, these are awesome. <laughs> I love them. They're so much fun. He was so mad that I bought these pants and he thought they were so ugly. And he was just like, I can't believe you would buy those. They're disgusting. And I was just like, whatever, man, you got an orange Paisley shirt in the, in the closet. Like, I don't give you shit. Um, but he took it as a personal offense that I purchased these pants and that we were going to be seen in public. And I was wearing these ugly pants. Um, I never got rid of them I still mm. have them that is like the pants that's the hill that I was going to die on um but it was you know like stupid shit that I, looking back I'm like that's a, why like why did you care Yeah, because I didn't check with you first like I didn't get your permission to purchase something and that wasn't our dynamic at all there was none of none of that mm. um None
0: of that was consensual. Um. yeah, well, I mean, it's it's all about him. It's all you're gonna embarrass him with your pants, you know, and not like it, it just doesn't. The narcissist thing is just so fascinating to me because the the way that a narcissist will try to control somebody else's actions because it reflects on them like, as like, it will reflect on the narcissist by proxy is right. just, it's just batshit to me. It's just like, I'm going to be embarrassed by you. So you can't do that. It, or like, yeah, yeah.
1: It's a nice. I mean, thing. that was, yeah. Um, continuing the cycle of abuse, like that was, that was my, my dad growing up, like, you have to behave in a certain way because you're a representation of me and the family. And if you do something, it's going to look bad on me. Um, you know, Grant, my dad was fairly prominent in the community. So like, I, I get that, but everything was <clears throat> was about about him. And if he, you know, like would lash out and, you know, throw things and whatever, and we would be upset, he would throw his hands up and he's like, oh, and I guess I'm the bad guy. And pull one of those yeah. like every time um so yeah i was just i i went i was going with what i what i knew yeah. um and, and i take it they
0: probably like as a like a narcissistic guy there probably was a period of being really charming and being like a real oh. glad-handing just like man about town the coolest guy on campus the fucking he's a rock oh. star and everything
1: yeah, oh, yeah. he was so he was so charming mm-hmm. um, and, you know, very, very attractive, dressed really well, really smart, great musician, um, you know, and, and he would turn on the charm when. You know, when other when other people were around.
0: Um, Did yeah, you like, like now? You know, and I'm not saying you should feel this way, but do you feel like foolish in a way like that that you were taken in or do you like sort of i hope that you recognize that you know this is something that a lot of people are 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 wired to you know just just as people not even just like as uh, somebody with like the your upbringing with like your dad would fly off the handle and this was like a familiar situation, but just as a person who's a social creature and wants to give people the benefit of the doubt that you were taken in by someone like this and, and, and sort of tricked.
1: Um, I don't feel, I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel stupid or, or shame or anything like that. That's um, good. I was, I was young. I was 27 mm-hmm. and you were
0: 27 when you met.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got married five months after we met.
0: Oh, <laughs> was that a red flag yeah. to anybody? <laughs> Was that Was that a red flag to anybody? Did anybody um, like, go yeah, to, oh, my parents, excuse me? Yeah. In
1: particular, my my dad especially, he's just like, "Don't do that." And I'm like, "Fuck you, dad. I'm going to do what I it's want." It's your fault, it's dad. Doing it's this a... cuz
0: of you, dad. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, no. My, you know, my mom was supportive, but she's you know, but she's like, "I don't know." She's like, yeah. "Whatever makes you happy." Um, yeah, we got married at City Hall and then we had a a, we had a really fun ceremony on our rooftop, um, like, a year later. Mm-hmm. We were two blocks off, off the uh, East River, so we had, like, a view of Manhattan and whatever. Oh. But, um, yeah, I don't feel... I don't feel shame. Um, I was young.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: mistook... Um, I mistook possession and a need to control for love. It was It was very... Um, like dramatic romance novel situation. Um, like there was there was one night where we got into an argument, and I it's, okay, maybe I do look back, and I'm like, I was such a fucking moron. <laughs> like it was so stupid. What was I thinking? How did I, knowing what I know now about myself and and the world, yeah. um, if I could go back and and slap 27 year old me in the face and be like, don't do it. I I would, um, but I also know that I would be a completely different person if I didn't. Yeah, um, and I I like who I am now. I like the choices that I've made. Um. Yeah, I. Yeah, I guess I guess I do feel kind of dumb when I think about it. But
0: <laughs> well, I'm not trying to make I you. I, I hope you don't. I, I'm not trying to make you feel dumb. I'm just like because no. I watch a lot of like uh, cult documentaries and one of the things that's really interesting to me is always like the people who get pulled in and then realize it later um and like there's people who like at different points realize you know like there's there's one guy in the cult who's who like after like a few months in, it's just like, nope, this is bad. This is bad news. Something's not right. And then there's people who stay yeah. in until the bitter end and they defend them through like the whole fucking fallout and everything. And it's not until like they're shooting the documentary 10 years later that they're like, yeah, I don't know, man. I uh, I was fooled. I, th- I thought we were trying to build a better world and they seemed like they had the answers and I was just lost and I needed them and uh, they just – they got me, you know? And, and yeah. it's just – It's endlessly fascinating because like that's the way that uh, these sorts of like narcissists and sociopaths can like find the thing that people are missing, which is usually some sort of sense of belonging and meaning and love and community, uh, all of which is sort of uh, largely stripped from us by just the world we live in. Um, and somebody comes and offers you that, of course it's mad tempting, you know? And, yeah. and um, so like walking away from that, did that make you, um, I mean, that's traumatic, like going forward in new relationships and getting close to people again has to be terrifying. No, like, knowing that this guy was I mean, all levels of not only like a controlling abuser, like manipulated and and, and fucked with you, but was like literally doing like criminal fucked up shit. Um, and this was somebody who you thought you knew so well. You know, like how do you how do you move on from that? How do you trust somebody again? How do you uh,
1: yeah it was I mean again. a lot of therapy I was in secondary survivor therapy I think um you know I I think I grieved the marriage while I was still in it and I was trying to it took me took me almost a year to leave um I he threatened to cut me off financially um you know used would throw. You know, threatened, threatened to kill himself. Like yeah. every every um, manipulative trick in the book. But at that point, I knew what I was in. Yeah. Obviously, if I didn't, then we would have an even bigger problem. Uh,
0: Did anybody else know?
1: Oh yeah, everybody knew. Everybody knew our, our our whole friend circle. And what was really reassuring is, I mean, I I made. <clears throat> Um, you know, we had mutual friends before we met. Yeah. Um and you know, just kismet that we all kind of reunited and um uh, they all knew um
0: and I bet you kept the friends because you're actually cool and, and oh, he's a piece everyone of Everyone
1: yeah. said, "Hey, um, you they know, are, no, they're matter, team no matter what, Yeah. <laughs> like no matter what happens, we have your back. We're here for you. Um, you know, if we had to choose a side, we would choose yours.
0: Well, that's good, um, at least that, like, you had people on your side and you had people who knew what you were going through. And, like, you didn't have to have that, like, awkward uh, conversation of just like, oh, how's, you know, how's how's the mister? How's, how's the old so-and-so? And you had to just be like, hey, good, and, like, keep up some sort of public appearance of, you know.
1: Oh, it's- there was definitely that. It was, I was socially exhausted, because he was, he got fired from his job, obviously, he was arrested and Mm -hmm. blah blah. Um, And I was working like four jobs, and he, he was just so depressed. And I was like, I can't sit here and do this, like I can't, I have to continue doing what I do in order for me to like work through this. Um and I I had it and I wanted to because like for me, I was like, this is the person that I that I'm that I'm married to. This is supposed to be forever. Let me just try. Like let me try to see if this is something that we can work through. Let's see if there's going to be any progress, any change. Um I also I I took my savings and I paid for his lawyer. Like I did some really stupid shit. Um, looking back, I and, and I don't know if that was me, I don't know if part of that was the manipulation that happened within the relationship or um, you know, or or me just wanting like trying to salvage um the, this this relationship. Um, like I found I found the lawyer. <laughs> I paid for the lawyer Um, and I I ended up being like the social representative for the two of us. We would go out and, you know, they would ask like how, how, (laughs) they would ask how, um you know how he was doing and i'd be like oh he's fine you know he's just looking for work and kind of going through the motions Mm -hmm. but the reality is that he was like he was having a really hard time um and uh yeah i he was in group therapy with um other individuals who committed sex crimes um from you know just like lashing people in public to pedophiles um and he would come home every week from group and he would be like i don't belong there i'm not one of them and i'm like you sure about that (laughs) because you're in the group it's court mandated pretty sure you are (laughs) pretty sure you're one of them (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, uh
0: so what does what does a uh, secondary survivor uh therapy look like what how do you, what does that process
1: Um it is it's for family members and spouses of individuals who commit sex crimes. Hmm. And they they offer group uh but I preferred one-on-one. I was in some really intensive CBT therapy and it I went in like not knowing my ass from my elbow. And I came out of there after many, after many months of intensive work, um, sometimes twice a week, r- learning that like I was a whole person outside of my relationship with this other person mm-hmm. and that I was capable of standing on my own and that I didn't need him to function um the way that i was led to believe for so long Um, and while i was going through therapy that was when i really started to recognize what was happening um i i read the gaslight effect and i was like oh that tracks so does that Mm -hmm. (laughs) this whole book makes so much sense um and uh and that's when i really like started to grieve the marriage and and when i was done I was done and that was it and I told him I said you know the biggest I think the biggest kicker was he didn't he didn't want to engage in couples therapy he was so concerned with having enough time to himself he was like I'm already in therapy twice a week and it's group and it's this and he's just like when am I going to have time for your time for myself and I said well if you don't work on the marriage with me you're going to have all the time in the world to yourself because I'm not going to stick around Mm. um and that's when the financial stuff started to happen and he was like oh I'm gonna cut you off and like what are you gonna do you're not gonna have anywhere to go um blah 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 eventually my my very good friend um (laughs) booted her roommate out so I could move in um wow and um I remember it was it was November of 2015 and uh and I was like hey um December 1st I'm out of here unless you want to go to couples therapy you know and and he was like okay 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 um you know just you know like book someone and we'll go and we'll see how it is and so I did and didn't show up (laughs) so i left yeah um and and i had a a great support network network of people during Mm -hmm. that time that they were very encouraging um and and supportive and and without that i think it would have been much harder yeah
0: Speaking of like support networks, did you did you do any like kind of group therapy? Uh, I know that was like an option. You, it seems like you opted mm-hmm. out of with a yeah. secondary survivor. But like, did you like at any point like join a support group or or talk to other people who've been through something similar?
1: No, I mean, I working with the population that I used to work with. Um, I I would never disclose my own situation, but I, I did work with a lot of women that experienced abuse, um, physical, emotional. Um, and that was a way for me to have that sort of group yeah. dynamic. Um, but it's, it's, I think it's just something that's not really for me. <laughs> well,
0: and the fact that you've been through something like that, I think makes you all the better as somebody who works with people who are in those sorts of situations, because you know, mm-hmm. what's like you've been through that shit. So yeah, and, and I think the best social workers and therapists in the world are people who have actually dealt with that stuff, you know, and, 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 uh, and There's so much of an idea that like your therapist, like, I think, I don't know, I always have this idea that my therapist, like they've got their shit together way more than I do, which they probably do, it's not hard, but like that's not actually necessarily true. Like they got interested in psychology for a reason and oftentimes they have all sorts of stuff in their past that, you know, doesn't come up in our sessions. Like they don't tell me about that shit, but like probably exists. And it's mm-hmm. it's good to know because you know there's just there's people too.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So we're about out of time. Um, I want to give you a chance. Can I have another meeting to jump uh, into. Yeah. So. Uh, so you got a uh, do? You, I usually give people a chance to plug anything that they're working on, but I,
1: I don't know if you got anything like that. Um, I the an ongoing project that I've been on that I've been working on since 2017. Um, Bold beauty project. Um, working with women with visible and invisible disabilities, um, photographing them, um, in a way that empowers them. Uh, we just recently back in December, November, December, we had a show in Manhattan. Um, we are working on going to the Venice Biennial in April, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Um. And we're, you know, we have shows all over the world. I don't get to go, <laughs> but my work goes yeah. along with them. So it's boldbeautyproject.com. dot com.
0: Hell yeah! Well, that's great, and thank you so much for for coming and talking to me. And uh, this is this is great to just kind of catch up with you after all these years.
1: Yeah, I mean, sorry, it was all like trauma jumping, but that's I guess... what this
0: show is for. <laughs> that's What's that's, the, this, whole, that's the, the whole point this. of this shit, and and and, and you really. <laughs> you brought the heat I wasn't totally sure like I wasn't fully sure I was just like I don't know like what's she gonna what's she gonna bring like uh, you know but turns out (laughs) you have it you got you got you got some (laughs) shit to say so I'm glad you came Uh, on.
1: uh, uh, well thank you for having me
0: (laughs) many thanks again to Kelly Mahoney for being on the show and uh, check out her work and stuff and go do that get involved with some shit if you're feeling powerless, do some shit. There's very little that we can do as people in the world, but there are some things that we can chip away at. I'm not going to rattle them all off here because we don't have time for that. Anyway, uh, once again, follow me, Radical Pearson. Instagram, Twitter, eh, kind of Twitter, not really Twitter anymore. Just follow me on Instagram. I post a lot in my stories. Uh, follow my dog at .pesh mode She's got a great account. She has more followers than me. And she deserves it. Um, that's all. Uh, music is by Shea Bartel. Uh, I'm uh, Brad Pearson. Until next time, uh, look behind you.